On March 23, 2020, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine released new practice-suggested guidelines for the use of ultrasound for obstetrical practice among the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's take a look at that now. The Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine suggests that on the day of the scheduled ultrasound examination, patients should be screened before they enter the waiting area, either by phone or in person. Staff members and screening personnel should be situated, of course, at least six feet away from the patient. Screening personnel should wear typical surgical masks, even if the patient does not have respiratory symptoms. Before the visit, inform patients that they should not bring a visitor to accompany them to the appointment unless it's medically necessary. If a patient brings a visitor, the visitor should be screened as well and should be encouraged not to enter the ultrasound unit or the exam room. I know that that's tricky, especially for patients' partners who want to see, for example, the sex of the child. But once again, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine does recommend the discouragement of other visitors from entering the ultrasound room. It's also suggested to minimize clutter in the ultrasound room and remove all unnecessary items like extra bins or chairs. Also, it's recommended to reduce the number of transducers on the ultrasound machine to just two, one low-frequency 1 to 6 megahertz device and one high-frequency between 2 and 9 megahertz. Remember to remove and store all transducers when not in use, especially those that are fragile or may be damaged by cleaning solutions. Each ultrasound room should be cleaned thoroughly each morning before patients arrive and again in the afternoon after all patients have been scanned with a CDC-approved cleaner. Items which need to be cleaned include the computer keyboard and the mouse, doorknobs, patient bed, a guest chair, ultrasound machines, the sonographer chair, countertops, the cabinet door, handles, and of course the light switches. Look, I'll be honest, I've never had to know what kind of CDC-approved antimicrobial cleaners are for certain services, but I know them now, and the SMFM guidance for ultrasound also addresses these. The CDC approves the following antimicrobial cleaners for services, and they are 70% or greater isopropyl alcohol, Clorox disinfecting wipes, Clorox healthcare bleach germicidal wipes, Super Santa Cloth germicidal wipes, Lysol spray, and when cleaning the surfaces with wipes or spray, it's recommended to allow the surface to air dry. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In general, it is suggested to shorten the ultrasound examination duration as much as possible. This can be done by saving movie clips for fetal anatomy rather than images to expedite the examination. Adjust the ultrasound examination based upon indications and need, but some things should of course be captured as routine. For the fetal head, this includes the BPD and head circumference, the lateral ventricle and the cavum the posterior fossa, and the upper lip and the philtrum. For the fetal chest, this should include the four-chamber heart view, the left ventricular outflow tract, the right ventricle outflow tract, and the three vessels in trachea view. For the fetal abdomen, this is the abdominal circumference, cord insertion, the kidneys, and the bladder. 
The spine should have an axial plane and a sagittal plane. The extremities should include a femur length and all four extremities, hands and feet, should be confirmed. The placenta should have a transvaginal ultrasound exam for a suspected low-lying or a previa, and this should be screened for in patients that have a previous C-section to rule out a possible accreta. Also, for the amniotic fluid, a maximum vertical pocket is recommended. All right, that's general practice, but what about specific ultrasound scheduling amid this COVID-19 issue? The number of ultrasound appointments in the first trimester can be minimized by performing one ultrasound exam for dating and nuchal translucency, if that's being chosen, at about 12 weeks gestation. This suggestion is especially useful for patients that are conducting their first prenatal visit by telehealth. The nuchal translucency scan can be considered optional if cell-free DNA testing has been performed. So once again, the SMFM does recommend pushing back the first ultrasound till about 12 weeks in order to maximize not only dating, but also nuchal translucency if that's being chosen. But remember, only nuchal translucency can be considered optional if cell-free DNA has been performed. Ultrasound examinations in the third trimester to access fetal growth should be individualized based on risk factors. For those patients who require heightened surveillance, limit examinations to once a week unless the severity of the condition mandates twice-weekly testing. This can include fetal growth restriction with abnormal Dopplers, Kells-sensitized patients with significant titers, or complicated monochorionic twins. In patients undergoing an ultrasound examination, a biophysical profile can be performed and results of 8 out of 8 can preclude the need for non-stress testing with some exceptions. For example, this can be individualized in cases of low amniotic fluid or velamentous cord insertion. It's also recommended to reserve fetal echocardiography for the highest risk patients. Consider canceling or postponing fetal echo for the following indications. Family history alone, pregestational diabetes but with a normal hemoglobin A1c, assisted reproduction technology patients, and medication exposures as long as targeted ultrasound views obtained during the routine anatomy scan were normal. The SMFM also recommends to include as much space as possible between follow-up ultrasound examinations according to the following suggestions. For major fetal malformations, following the initial diagnosis, counseling, and referral to pediatric subspecialties, consider ultrasound follow-up in two months. That's eight weeks. This is obviously a change from the usual, which was a follow-up in about four to six weeks. For patients with maternal disease that affects fetal growth, like hypertension or well-controlled diabetes, following a second trimester anatomy scan, consider an ultrasound examination for fetal growth at 32 weeks of gestation and then again at 36 weeks of pregnancy, if necessary. However, this should be individualized based on the severity of the maternal condition. So once again, it's a little bit more lax when the first recommendation, the most traditional, was to repeat rate of growth scans about every four to six weeks. But again, for those that have well-controlled hypertension or diabetes, consider a fetal growth scan at 32 and then again at 36 weeks after the second trimester anatomy scan is normal. 
for fetal growth restriction with an estimated fetal weight greater than the third percentile and normal umbilical artery dopplers, it is suggested to follow up the ultrasound exam for growth in four weeks but continue antepartum surveillance. For early onset fetal growth restriction or an abdominal circumference that is less than the third percentile, then consider the follow-up growth scan in three weeks. The SMFM ultrasound guidance also has word regarding transvaginal cervical length as prediction of preterm labor risk. Routine measurement of transvaginal cervical length at the second trimester anatomy ultrasound should be avoided in patients at low risk of preterm birth. Cervical length assessment by transabdominal ultrasound, however, can still be performed. In other words, try to minimize instrumentation as much as possible. A cervical length less than 35 millimeters on transabdominal ultrasound may warrant a transvaginal ultrasound for cervical length. But patients who are at high risk of preterm birth may still be considered for routine transvaginal ultrasound for cervical length determination. The SMFM is quickly putting out information as this whole situation evolves. But again, we have covered the SMFM sonogram guidance amid this COVID-19 issue and some of the changes on ultrasound performance for high-risk and routine obstetrical surveillance. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.